0: Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. Hebrews 11 and verse 21. If you saw the Facebook post, there are two things in view here in Hebrews 11, verse 21 that puts Jacob's faith in the Hall of of Fame list. It's not just the blessing of the sons of Joseph. So here we see in, in verse 21, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. So the first is, of course, the blessings of Joseph's sons, in which he had two, at least at this time. Joseph may have had more sons later on, but at this point he got the, he has the two. And this is the ones that Jacob speaks of blessing over. Manasseh is the oldest, and Ephraim, or Ephraim, I've heard uh, the latter one's probably more correct. I'm so used to Ephraim that I probably will keep on calling him that. Uh, the second is his worship now it sounds like the worship comes after the blessing read it again by faith jacob when he was dying blessed each of the sons of joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff so it sounds like uh first comes the blessing and then comes the worship but in the genesis account it actually comes before making it two separate things the part here for leaning on the top of his staff is um not probably the best interpretation of that section of uh of that phraseology there and we'll get into what that is. But let's go back to the episode that seems to be the part where he worshipped that the writer here is referring to. And that would be in Genesis chapter forty seven and verse twenty seven. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of the of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly, and Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now, if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Now he doesn't call any of the other sons. He doesn't call all the sons. He calls Joseph. And you remember when Joseph was around the house before he was sold into slavery, he was the son he trusted the most with the goings-on of the house. And it would seem that that trust is still there to this day where he trusts Joseph more so than all the others. Now all the others have gotten better, but Joseph has too. And so he is He continues to put that trust in him. So he says, I'm going to put the trust in Joseph. Another factor might be that Joseph is the highest-ranking official in the land, in the family. Of course, he's also one of the highest-ranking officials in the land. But he may feel like he has more power to be able to accomplish this than would be any of the other brothers. So he puts it into Joseph's hand. Verse 31 again, Then he said, Swear to me, and he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the... On the head of his bed. Now that word there, bowed himself, is actually a term for worship. And is probably what the writer of Hebrews is referring back to. As far as his worship. When it said he bowed himself. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Now, going back here to the, that phrase that's, that was over in Hebrews. Leaning on the top of his staff. It would seem that this is a bad translation of the verse. Several, uh, places that I had Referenced on this, even though you can translate that word just as it has been translated, it would seem to be a better translation uh, referring to the bed. Because the worship had nothing to do with the staff or him leaning on the staff. The worship had to do with his position there. And again, he bowed himself on the head of the bed. So when you bow yourself, this was an act of worship. At this particular point, he was getting ready to die. He did it on the head of the bed where he was going to... Uh, Breathe his last and go on and, and see Jesus. So he makes this request to be buried with his fathers. And he, he doesn't ask to be buried in the land. He wants to be buried where his fathers are buried. This is in Genesis chapter 50, verse 13. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And that's where he wanted to be buried. Now, this is where Leah is buried, but not Rachel. How many have ever heard a lot of, uh, issue made that in the end of his life he was buried with Leah? And then people try and surmise that he may have, uh, fallen in love with Leah and loved her more than Rachel. And that's, that's garbage. Throw that out. That is not true. If you'll, you'll see that he was in great mourning when Rachel died. We don't even hear about Leah dying. But he was in such mourning when, when uh, Rachel died, and he was on the way there, but she died, and he apparently was not good to do much of anything at all, and so they buried her where where she had died, uh, instead of carrying her where they were they were they're going to. So that's why she was buried there. It was more important that Jacob be buried with his fathers than he'd be buried with one of his wives. That was uh, the more important thing. That's what he mentions: bury we, me with my fathers. He doesn't say, bury me with Leah. He doesn't say, bury me with Rachel. He says, bury me with my fathers. So it was important for him to have his body put the rest there. He does not want to be buried in Egypt. He wants to be buried where his where his fathers are in the land of Canaan, which is the land that God will give him. Now, it's, uh, in Genesis 48, verse 7, we're going to be reading... Uh, yeah, I believe we were. Let's just read it Read it here. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in a land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Now this is as he's relating this to, to Joseph. And it just kind of comes out of nowhere. It seems like he's still mindful of the fact that Rachel is not buried with his fathers. No mention of Leah. But Rachel was the one that he was the wife that he loved. And even though Leah gave him more children, he was in love with Rachel. And that never changed. So I know some people have gone around that have taught that uh, he, he loved Rachel first, but in the end he loved Leah. That's where he was buried. But that's not the case. He may be buried in the same place Leah is buried, but he's being buried where his father is buried. And that's what is foremost in his mind. But even here at the end, as he's coming to the end, the, the wife that he refers to, the wife that he talks about, is Rachel now there is a difference in the account of Stephen's description in Acts chapter 7 verse 15 and some people have seen this as a contradiction just kind of throwing this out here for you since we're on this particular topic because Stephen mentions a different town of his burial he mentions that he was buried in Shechem and again it seems to be a bad translation out of this that he is not saying he was buried in Shechem so Stephen, in his account, is not coming out with a different location for it than the account in Genesis. Stephen very well knew the Genesis account. And he is quoting many things from the Old Testament in his uh, speech that he's given, in the sermon he's preaching here in his defense. So he very much knew that. But if you ever see that come up, Acts chapter 7, verse 15, it is just a bad translation, and it's not referring to that, that at all. Now, he already took, gave you this, bowed himself as a term of, for worship. What is in mind here, it's very interesting. It's Jacob. Jacob is being thankful. He's being, he, he's being thankful. And um, when he is assured that he would rest with his fathers in Canaan, when he has the word from Joseph, I will bury you with my fathers in Canaan, he becomes very thankful, he becomes very worshipful. Ah, good. If Joseph says it's going to be done, it's going to be done. I know that Joseph will leave no stone unturned unless he gets this done. My body will not be buried here in Egypt, in this foreign land. My body will be buried with my fathers in the land of Canaan, in the land that God has given us, and he worshiped God. Again, he's looking looking ahead to what God has, has done. God has not given them the land yet. It's not theirs. It still belongs to these other people. But he's seeing himself. I'm buried there. I'm buried in my land. I'm buried in the land that God gave us. And he begins to worship because he sees this this as as going on. So instead of staying where his family is, he goes on before them to the place that they will be. All right, you guys aren't there yet, but I want you to take me over there because you all are coming. And I'm going to go on there ahead of you. And I'm going to be there waiting for you. And you're all going to come over here. And this land that I'm being buried in right now, is uh, overrun with foreigners. It's overrun with people who are not God's people. But the day is coming when my family will take over this whole place and God will give it to us as an inheritance. And in that day, I will be buried amongst my family. And so it's important for him. And that's what he's looking at. And so they, the writer of Hebrews looks at this. This is one of the acts of faith that he did. He, he sees ahead to what God is going to do He believes it's going to be done and he he won't rest in this life until someone tells him, I will make sure that your body is over in Canaan. And then he just worships God. So that's the first act that he did. Here's the second one. In Genesis chapter 48, verse 1, Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up in the bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a multitude of people. And give this land to your descendants after you. An everlasting possession. So he reviews over the promises that God had made to him. And not only did God make these promises to Abraham and Isaac, but he also made them to Jacob. He came down and renewed them with him. And we see this in two different places. Uh, Pull up Genesis 35, verse 9, up on the screen. I didn't copy that one over into mine. Genesis chapter 35, in verse 9. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob any anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abram, and I, Abraham, Isaac, I give to you, and to your descendants after you, I give this land. Then God went up from him to the place where he talked with him, so Jacob set a pillar in the place where he talked with him a pillar of stone and he poured a drink offering on it and he poured oil on it and Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke to him Bethel it had formerly been Luz and he reigned it renamed it to, to Bethel that is one time in Genesis chapter 48 and verse 5 and now your two sons well I'm sorry I didn't pull this one I'll be able to pull up Genesis 46 verse 1 I was thinking I was I was reading that one I thought I put that one in there Genesis 46 and verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. And he said, I am the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. So there's a promise from him there that you're going down to Egypt, but you're not going to stay there. This is okay for you to go down to Egypt. This is all in my plan. It's all right. Just know you are coming back. So these are the two places where he renewed this. He refers to the one in Luz, which is the first one. This one also seems to, to come and reaffirm some of the things that he was told. So I thought I'd read them both here to you. Verse 5, And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. So what he's doing is he is elevating the sons of Joseph. He's saying, Joseph, you no longer have two sons. They're my sons. And I'm going to put them in a position, and look who he names. He names Reuben and Simeon. Reuben is the firstborn. Simeon is the second. He has taken them and elevated them not only to two of his sons, he has also put them in the first and second position. He puts one in the position of the firstborn and he puts the other in the position of the secondborn. That's displacing Reuben and Simeon. That's interesting to note because the firstborn, certain things come upon them. So if you're one of the other sons, what are, you, what are you thinking about this? Man, Joseph was messing with us before and now his sons are messing with us. But you see, Reuben had already disqualified himself from some of the things of being the firstborn because of the things that he had done uh, with one of his uh, father's concubines. And so that, um, that didn't go so well for for him. So he takes these two, Ephraim and Manasseh. He says, they were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to Egypt, but they're mine now. Now I don't know what Joseph thinks about this. He just lost two sons. They're no longer his. They're going to go by his, uh, his dad's name, so to speak. He says, your offspring whom you beget after them, they shall be yours. Oh, that's good. I'm glad you're letting me have my, my kids after that. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, I came from Padan. Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan. On the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now either he can't see them very well. I doubt this is the first time he's met them. I would think that when Joseph came and they had the big reunion, that Joseph would have brought them. And they would have seen them before, but maybe it's just that uh, he can't see that well. But he has them very much in mind. But uh, who are these? These are my sons, whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now, the, now, he has not put the blessing on his own sons yet. He's putting the blessings on these two first, which he has already taken as his own. So, the first blessing out of his mouth is going to be on one of these sons. The second blessing will be on the second born. Now you remember what happened with uh, Jacob and Esau. The firstborn, the the, the first blessing came out and that was important. It's very important for that first blessing. So here we're going to get the first blessing and it's going to go to the house of Joseph and not to the others. Please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth and Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand. And brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger? and on his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So he Joseph pushes them in in such a way so that when he goes and prays over them, that his right hand would be on the older, Manasseh, and his left hand would be on the younger Ephraim. but instead of that, he crosses his hands over. Now remember he can't see that well so does he see them or does he know this in the spirit to do it? can't answer that one for you We'll have to wait till we get up there to find that out. but uh, he couldn't see them well enough to to distinguish who they were or maybe there was some other reason but he actually physically crosses over his hands and 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 mixes it up so according to Joseph view, he mixes it up, but he knows exactly he was guiding his hands. he wasn't getting mixed up. He put them over there. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So this is a blessing that he he spoke on both but again the right hand is on the younger that's the stronger blessing apparently uh, right handed people they didn't have left handers day I will just say that over in Israel <laughs> now we do know that there's a bunch of folks in Beth uh, in um, uh, Benjamin the tribe of Benjamin who were very good at the sling and uh, they were all left handed so it made a point to, for us to know that but Apparently, most people were right-handed in the land of Israel. And that was looked on as a good thing. Now, when Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. So he's actually trying to correct him. Now, this is Joseph who had the dreams. This is Joseph who saw into this realm of the Spirit and understood things to to do. This is the Joseph that God spoke to. And here in this particular moment, he didn't know that the the older was going to get the lesser blessing and the younger was going to get the greater. He didn't know that. Just like Isaac was trying, he did know it, but was trying to go against it. Joseph is not aware. And is not aware that his father is doing this intentionally. He thinks it's by mistake, it, so he goes to try to move the, move the hands, and his father doesn't take too well of that. He says, "Oh no, I'm doing this intentionally." But his father refused and said, "I know, my son, I know. Don't tell me I don't know what I'm doing." <laughs> you ever see somebody 147 years old? <laughs> you trying to tell him how to do something. Uh huh. He also shall become a people, and he shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will we'll bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. So the blessing is uh, declared over both of them. He doesn't declare one blessing to one and one blessing on the other. He speaks the same blessing, but he puts the right hand on the one because they are going to get the greater blessing. And that, of course, would be the younger. Now, the um, tribe of Ephraim, I looked uh, through some of the Bible. I didn't put all this down in the notes. It didn't seem to uh, merit that much importance. But there were times that Ephraim outnumbered, at least they would number the warriors, and they would outnumber the tribe of Manasseh. And then sometimes Manasseh came back up, and they outnumbered Ephraim. And then it would go back the other way. It it seemed to go back and forth on that. But not always was Ephraim (coughs) larger than Manasseh. Uh, and not always was Ephraim the largest of the tribes of Israel either. But of the ten northern nations, it became the most prominent to the point that the ten northern nations were known as Ephraim or Ephraim. That's what they would actually call the ten nations in the north. They never called them Manasseh. They didn't call them any other names. They would sometimes refer to them as as Ephraim. And you saw that as early as the days of Saul. And even I think sometimes in the book of Judges that, uh, that terminology had, had come up. Now it says here in the blessing, when he lists the specific blessings for them, and let me get back to, to read that. Not uh, verse nine, verse 19, but his father refused and said, I know my son, I know he also shall become a people, and he also shall be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So what he's saying here is that nations would be coming out of the tribe of Ephraim. But most of the time we just focus on the nation of Israel. So what are these nations that he spoke of? So I endeavor to do a lot of reading on this particular topic. I am amazed at how many people have written books on this particular topic, on the descendants of the 10 northern tribes and where they had gone to and where they settled at. And uh, most of the articles I was reading, all the authors refer to their books on this, and they wrote books on each matter. Where are the tribe of Manasseh? They have books on where is the tribe of Manasseh. They have books on where is the tribe of Ephraim. They have books on some of the other ones as well, but these are the two main tribes that most of the people focused on in these, uh, when they're writing these books. I did not try and get any of those books. I did not try and read any of those books. That would be a whole lot of reading to do in the few days that I have the <laughs> to get ready here for Wednesday. But I did read the articles and and saw that a number of people are painting the same picture. They followed Manasseh, and of course with the, tribe, with the uh, captivity of Assyria, they followed Manasseh, and they followed Ephraim, and they, they uh, have apparently some evidence for which was not in their articles, but is in their books. So if this is a topic that interests you, go up on the internet, you can find probably the same articles I was looking at, and um, find reference to some of these books that these people have done. So, if you continue to interest you, you can get those books and and read them. Again, I did not. I don't know all the evidence that they used. But the things that they seem to come into a place of agreement on is that, first off, the tribe of Ephraim, which would have nations, it seems that their descendants moved in such a direction that they became some of the primary settlers in the land of uh, of, uh, Britain. That the Brits... The Anglo-Saxons and they, they traced the names, uh, where the, those names came from and how that go, came back into the Israel and came back into Ephraim and came back into even Isaac. Uh, it was very interesting some of the, the tracing of the names. But uh, the particular, the, the tribe of Ephraim was uh, predominantly in that area of Britain. And how many nations came out of the land of Britain? I mean, the number of nations that came out of Britain, I think, probably dwarfs any other nation out there on earth because it seems like everywhere they just were going, and let's just start a nation here. Let's just start another one over here, and we'll start another one over here. And so you have the uh, British influence in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, places in Africa, uh, I believe even in South America or some other islands and uh, just all kinds of nations that they have in which have uh, the influence of the uh, British colonies. So, the Manasseh group was interesting in that it shows that the, again, I didn't go through all the evidence, I'm just telling you what the end results were. If you want to go get these books and read all the evidence, uh, you can go ahead and do so. But, uh, the Manasseh folks, they seem to be able to trace to the United States. And then we know we would be as a, uh, one of those nations that came out of, of Britain, the uh, majority of the people, they, Show came from the uh, group that came from the tribe of Manasseh. Uh, not all of them. Of course, we have a hodgepodge of people here and we got people from Germany and we got people from France and, and uh, a number of other nations uh, pretty much all over the world all get centered in here. But I guess it was looking more at the, the founding. I believe, uh, the nation of France also had some, if I remember correctly, I believe that it ties into the uh, Manasseh area as well. But, if it's true that Ephraim had a lot to do with the settling of, of Britain when the uh, Anglo-Saxons came in, that that would be certainly nations that came from there. And that is probably what he has seen. I can't think of any other nation on earth that really went out and birthed as many nations as Britain did. So I don't know if they started with the end result and worked their way back. But <laughs> anyway, that's what they, they had come up with. And this is part of the blessing. Now, it's a it's a blessing that is spoken over them. All the other blessings came about. Whether or not we can trace this out. Since all the other blessings worked out and God brought them out and we could see those. I trust that God brought this one about too. That he accomplished what it was that he showed Jacob. Now, I call him Jacob here just for clarity because if I start calling him Israel, you might not... Are you talking about the nation? Or are you talking about the guy? So, even though God changed his name... Uh, I'm still calling him Jacob, just so we can keep it clear. So he shall become a people, and he also shall be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. So there he even put Ephraim's name before it. But he's saying, you guys are going to be so blessed, the two of you are going to be so blessed that people are going to say, they're going to use this as a phrase, may you be as blessed as Ephraim and Manasseh. That's how, how well known your blessing is going to be. Now in Ephraim, some of the prominent cities that come out of, out of there, I made a note of this. I had to take it out of your outline. If it's something you want to write down, you can. Uh, Shechem and Shiloh are the, two of the cities that come out of Ephraim. Shechem is the place where God met Abraham. Shiloh is the place, uh, it's a very prominent place in Israel. But one of the things that happened here was this was the place where the, temple was, or the, the tabernacle was set up. It may even be the place where the new temple was set. And if you were here in the End Times class, we went over some of the uh, evidence for that. It doesn't have to necessarily be on the temple mound. It could very well be in Shechem which is where the original one was the one that God liked so much uh, some of the people prominent people from Ephraim Joshua he was one of course we uh, know some good things about it. if you look at the uh, the listing of the spies you won't see the name Joshua you'll see another name that he was known by but he eventually became known as Joshua but it will say the son of Nun which of course was was Joshua uh, Caleb came out of the tribe of Judah. So the only two tribes that had spies that were good were Judah and Ephraim. Jeroboam was also one of the ones that, that came out of Ephraim. Saul, of course, came out of Benjamin. He was the first king. David came up out of, out of Judah. And the prophecy is given to Judah that, that the, the scepter would not depart. And this is a prophecy that Jacob puts upon the house. He goes over Reuben. And Simeon and Levi, he doesn't say very good things about them and the blessings that he has when he comes to, to, um, Judah. He talks about the scepter, the ruling scepter that would not depart from the, from that house. So that was prophesied even back in the, in Israel's day, Jacob's day, that Messiah would be coming from that particular tribe. Even before there was kings, even before David was picked, this was something that he saw and that he spoke. And he pronounced that over Judah first. Verse 21, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. He speaks of this as if it's a done deal. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Now, here's an unfortunate thing. You may even see this in the margins of your Bible. Moreover, I have given you one portion above your brothers. Now, that would sound like that's a double portion that was put upon the house of Joseph, except that word portion um, is actually the word Shechem. And what he's saying is that he is giving him Shechem. Now, how can he give him Shechem if he hasn't been given the land just yet? Moreover, I've given to you uh and basically Shechem, they have some inserted words in there just to make portion make sense, which I took from the land of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Now nowhere did we read that Jacob had a fight anyone, and it, the end result of that was that he took some ground. But here he's referring to a sword and a bow. And he's taking it from the, the Amorites. So here's the the best that uh of all the things I read on this this seems to be the best explanation for it, is you remember when Levi and Simeon had gone up to the men of Shechem because of the things that they had done. And they said, in order for you guys to marry into our family, you all have to be circumcised. And so, uh, they went and they had all the men circumcised. And while they were, uh, in pain, they went in and two guys slew all the, all the men. And they were rebuked for that. That this was not the good way to 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 do something, but what might have happened is something that wasn't written down. In that, they make mention that you're going to make us um, abhorrent to the people in the in the region, and they can come down and wipe us out. Uh, What is this you've done? You've 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 started some violence, and here we we shouldn't have done this. They may have camped out at the city, and waited for the Amorites to come and revenge the men of Shechem. So, And at that point, either the fear of God came upon them and they never came. And they claimed Shechem for themselves. And no one disputed it. Or, it could be that they came down and uh, a battle ensued and they chased them off. I would think that if a battle ensued, somehow that would have been written down in Scripture. But if they expected a battle and no battle came, that might have been... Uh, let go. So I will probably tend to that first one explanation more if they have actually come into the territory of Shechem which it does seem that they, they have. In John chapter 4 in verse 5 it reads this. So he came to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph which is Shechem. So there's actually a reference here to it that that Jacob gave it to his son uh, Joseph so that would seem that in this he is ref- he is referring to giving him land not a portion not a uh, an extra portion but giving him some kind of land something that they had uh, acquired through a bow and arrow either just a military stance that no one challenged or whatever it might have have been but that's um, that would certainly be, but was there? So we don't really know what the, um, what the reference is to the city. Uh, they did at the time. They seem to have a reference to it, not understanding quite clearly. But this is also the place where Joseph, when he is carried back, he's buried here in this this area of Shechem, not in the caves with his fathers. He's buried here in this spot. Now he will go on, after he blesses these guys, and I believe in chapter forty-nine, he will go through and he will begin the blessings on all the all the sons. And not all the blessings are very good blessings. Some of them are curse cursings. Some of them see into the future, and speak about things that will happen to these to these sons. On a few of them, they he speaks some very good things. On a, several of them, he doesn't speak such good things. He speaks some bad things that will come upon them. But for each one of them, he speaks to their future. But that's not what's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. What's mentioned in the book of Hebrews is the blessing that he put on the house of Joseph. So that's the one that we had to focus on. And while we're not reading over the chapter 49, if you want to go through that, just read that over tonight before you go to sleep and uh, review yourself on some of the things that they had spoken over in the, uh, over these brothers. But the act of faith would be on the blessing of Joseph. Now, when Jacob was blessed, God said the older is going to serve the younger. And the blessing was to come on the younger. And he had to do some deceptive things to get it, which probably shouldn't have done. And God would have had another way. But anyway, that's what he did. He felt like he had to help the hand of God. He helped the hand of God. Blessing still came. But the, the older was going to serve the younger. And the blessing was going to be put upon, the greater blessing was going to be put upon the younger. But here, he sees that. He sees that God's hand is on this to do the exact same thing with the younger and the older. And he physically crosses his hands to make sure that the blessing, the greater blessing, gets put on the younger and the other blessing gets put on the older. This is two times we've seen this happen. Usually that means there's some kind of significance to it and if we go back into the New Testament the significance we can see from this is the next time that the older is going to serve the younger and the blessing is put on the younger and that would be in the church because Jesus Christ is the first one to be raised from the dead that would make him what? our older brother but the blessing comes to who? It comes to us, the younger. It comes to the younger. Jesus Christ went to the cross. He was our servant. He served us on the cross. He took our price. He took our penalty. And so it set out that pattern. The older would serve the younger. We saw that done in these couple of times. And they very well point to what is going on by the time of Jesus. So through the Jacob's natural eyes, or though the Jacob's natural eyes were dim, his spiritual ones were sharp. And he had a faith that what he saw would come about. What he saw would come about. You see, a lot of times we are swayed by the things that, that we see. We're swayed by it. It amazes me the number of people who believe things without evidence. I just, I just get amazed at it. I know we have people in the church and some people like Trump and some people don't like Trump. But what amazes me is that for all this investigation that they've done in this, this thing, they always come out and they say, no evidence. Yeah, you can go, you'll, you'll find this is a very polarizing thing. Do you think Trump is guilty? Do you think Trump is innocent? And you'll get people who will immediately go to one side or the other. But there was no evidence. And it's not just that. You can, you can find other things. People will believe what they want to believe and they don't need any evidence for it. All you got to do is tell me that this is going on and I will buy into it. And we can't do that as a church. We should not be buying into things that we feel. We have to buy into things that are substantiated. Here's what he does. He doesn't substantiate things in the natural. He substantiates them in the spirit. And he becomes so short of it. This is not where he started. Before he would see things and he would say, all right, they're trying to cheat me. I'm going to cheat them. They're trying to jip me. I'm going to, I'm going to get them. And he would find ways to deceive. And Laban was even better at this than he was. And he got the better of him a lot of times. But God came in and he helped him. Don't be buying into things that people are telling you they are trying to stir up your feelings. Trying to stir up your emotions. It will hinder your faith. Don't be messing with it. Get yourself out of that. You have that with people too. You, you work in an office. How many times are the people in an office they come up to you and they start telling you stuff about somebody else who works in the office. And you can find yourself having a sour opinion to someone you barely know Never seen any evidence that did anything wrong, but you got a sour opinion of them. See, they they've stirred up your flesh. And they'll hinder your faith. Cannot let those things go on. You gotta you gotta deal with them. He did not deal with them in the beginning. And he let himself go into directions of deception, but he straightened that, that out. And he went in a direction where he would see things in the eyes of faith. And he would proclaim them. And with Judah, he spoke some of the greatest words over Judah. The scepter shall not depart from you. You shall rule. He's speaking about his, his rulership. That they would continue to rule. So a man who came from a place of deception to help God fulfill the promise now just speaks them with words connected to faith. That's a lot of growth. Can you imagine? You see something through the eyes of faith. You connect it to your faith and you speak it out. Because you spoke it out, it's true. It's true. You take me. Take me back or put me in that land because that's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to be. It's important to me. Don't you, don't you get out of here until you tell me. You're going to take me back to that land. I want to know. If you tell me, I know you'll carry it out, Joseph. More so than any of your brothers. I know you will carry it out. And you have the wherewithal to do it. Tell me you will. I'll do it. I'll do it. And just he just relaxes. And he worships God. Glory to God. I am going to be in the land. My body is going to rest there. That is a That's a long place for him to go. Then in verse 21 of chapter 28, then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I am dying. But God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. He saw what was coming with the sons and he spoke it. He saw what was going to happen with Joseph's sons and he spoke it. He saw that God wanted to bring them into not just grandsons but a son position. And he he moved them into that spot. And he saw that the greater blessing was on the younger. And he didn't need anybody to deceive him. He did it on his own. He moved his hands. Remember, his dad was having a hard time with seeing, and he got the blessing because of it. But he said, no, 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 that's not the thing here. The wrong one's not getting the blessing because I can't see. The right one is getting the blessing because I can see through the eyes of faith, and they are better than my regular eyes. And that's the place we have to get to be. To where what God shows us in faith is more certain to us than anything else. And we connect what He says with our faith and we keep speaking those things out of our mouth. You see, some people try and speak things into existence. I don't believe this can happen, but if I keep saying it, it'll come about. But the examples we have in the, in the Word of God were people who saw what God said to do, connected it with their faith, believed it, and spoke it as if it was true. See, that's a big difference. That's why it works for some people and it doesn't work for others. We've got to have that faith that brings this, this about. And this is what Jacob had, and why he got into this hall of fame we call a faith people, because of the blessing that he spoke over these sons and the worship that he did because my body is going to go before. I'm going to be there and I'm going to be waiting and the rest of you are going to come and join me. And if you get into the funeral and I believe it's chapter 50 after he dies and they make it a, a big deal. They leave the animals and I believe they leave some of the young kids. But all the sons All the sons are going. And they all make this big march from Egypt up to the land of Canaan. And they bury their father in that place. They embalm him because Joseph has this uh, ability over there in Egypt. And they treat that body so that it would make the the journey and not be uh, smelly and stinky. And because these among a people who give so much to the dead, they had no problem with this request. And he went there and he says, may I make this request that I can go bury my father? And the Pharaoh says, yeah, go. Yeah, let's do it. Go ahead. Family's important. You need to go ahead and take care of this with, with him. And so he does. He goes out there, he takes care of it, and then he comes back and he finishes his duties there in Egypt until he eventually dies. And that relates up to the next verse that we have. Father, we thank you that Joseph Joseph turned from a place of deceiving to get people to do what he felt God wanted done. He turned into a person who could see what God said and didn't have to deceive anymore. Just spoke it. Just would say these things because he realized that God would bring about his word and he didn't have to help it. so often we think we have to help my father we don't the only reason we think we have to help is the same one that, Joseph, that Jacob had we don't trust you yet we don't trust that you're going to bring it about we can see it falling apart we think you need our help But you don't. And those things that you have spoken in your word about us, they will come about. All we need to do is connect it with the faith that you have put on the inside of You have put that faith down on the inside of us. We connect that faith with what your word spoke. And we proclaim with our mouth what we know in the eyes of our spirit are true. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.